Welcome to Cannabis Health Radio, a podcast where we share stories from people around the world who are using cannabis as medicine. The information is meant to raise awareness about the health benefits of cannabis, but should not be taken as medical advice. Now, here are your hosts, Ian Jessup and Corey Yelland. And we welcome you to another episode of Cannabis Health Radio. I'm Ian Jessup. And I'm Corey Yellen. Our guest today has had multiple battles with cancer, three different types and all stage four. But he's a warrior and has a wonderfully inspiring story to tell. And joining us from Santa Barbara, California, tell his story is Mike Robinson. Mike, good of you to do this. Thanks very much. Well, thank you so much for having me today. Mike, what's your attitude towards life now compared to prior to being diagnosed with cancer? Wow, what a what a question. I'll tell you. Life now, there, there's hope. There's a future. Um, there's, it's positive. My attitude towards life now is grateful for every breath I take, you know, Every step I make, sort of like that song. You know? God, yeah, you're going to get me singing. <laughs> you know, literally, that song is a great song for how I feel about life. Uh, when I get down or something like that about anything, I stop and, and, and think about the battle. And for me, it was a three-and-a-half-year battle to, to overcome these cancers. Uh, while also running a compassion program that gave away oils to, to other people who were uh, fighting serious illnesses for, for themselves and for their kids uh, all over the nation. Uh, so so I'll tell you, you know, compared to when I had cancer to now, gratitude is probably the number one word I can use. Oh, interesting. Do you know, what was life like for you before you were diagnosed with cancer? Well, you know, I had severe epilepsy since a 1995 pro auto racing wreck. And in that wreck, I was injured pretty badly. Uh, it caused uh, right side paralysis, uh, severe epilepsy, uh, uh, a traumatic brain injury uh, was involved. So my life was hindered um, before this, this uh, cancer bout. And in 2003, I had cancer for the first time, uh, but it was caught early. After after a seizure, uh, a uh, CAT scan was done or imaging was done on my brain, which is normally done in, in ER or what have you if you've had a seizure. And they saw a few dark nodes in my neck in that CT scan. And that's what led towards the first battle against cancer all the way back in 2003. And that equated to uh, surgical uh, removal of lymph nodes and then a treatment plan for preventative care. So I do the treatment plan for preventative care, and about six weeks into that, my right side goes numb again. It took me 18 months after the 1995 racing wreck to walk again. It took me three years after a side effect of chemotherapy caused that right side to go numb again to get out of a wheelchair. So historically, before this cancer battle, I already had one that put me in a wheelchair for years. Mm-hmm. And and it wasn't even a battle against cancer. It was a battle against the side effects of, 
of the preventative therapy. Uh, so, so before I ever fought cancer with cannabis oil, I already had overcame the severe epilepsy a few years before. Uh, but I, I didn't do that through ingestion of large amounts or copious amounts of THC and other oils. I did that mostly through vaping. Uh, so I didn't have enough exposure or enough intake of different various cannabinoids to really fight off the cancer that was likely already brewing in me um, before the 2015 recurrence. So with me, what happened was after going through life, you know, um, hindered with severe epilepsy from the wreck and and the side effects of chemo in 2003 and all the things that happened to me, um, uh I used cannabis uh, oils and extracts, et cetera, in, in, in 2013 and, and got control of those seizures. So I was already in that world of, of cannabis and, and cannabis freedom, you know, from, from epilepsy. And I was celebrating life big time. And then the cancer diagnostic came back with two friends, two secondary cancers. So what a brutal blow because – in 2015, when I was diagnosed with all three of these cancers, I got the news that, hey, these two other cancers you have are from that six weeks of therapy or treatment that also paralyzed you. My God. Go ahead, Corey. Can I ask what the, what the uh, chemotherapy regime was that you were on? What were, the, what were the drugs? Was it a mixture or just one? And if so, which one? And did they even warn you that this may be a side effect? You know, back then, I was a civil rights lobbyist registered in California, working nationwide, representing kids with disabilities. And I was not a researcher in medicine. I was a researcher in law. So I didn't know even anything. I have no clue what cocktail I was given. I can't get to those records back then. But to answer your question about being warned, absolutely not. Mm -hmm. Um they kept me in the hospital for about a week after they ceased the, the treatment in 2003 just to check me out and see neurologically if I would rebound, and I did not. And, you know, it, it, was, it was pretty horrifying, you know, to, to wake up one day and, and be paralyzed again. And to have that happen from what was supposed to prevent something was even worse. And this is why in 2015, I did something I don't suggest anybody else do. And that's completely walk away from cancer treatment with three stage four cancers. That's pretty much a death sentence. I don't care how much oil you have. I don't care who you know, you know, <laughs> it better be on the high end of things. You better know some great healer in the sky or something if you're walking away from any kind of treatment center with multiple end-stage cancers. It's just normally you're done. Um, but there was a good reason for that. And as in 2018, I, I was a director of communications at the American Academy of Cannabinoid Medicine. After years of providing compassion, uh, I decided I needed to legitimize myself, and, and they had the need for me there. And the doctors there all questioned what I did and how I got to that point, um, you know. But but the bottom line of it is is each individual really has to go with their own their own gut and their own instincts 
So for me, it didn't matter um, who was going to question what I was doing or how I was doing it. There was no way I was going back to a conventional treatment and sitting in a wheelchair for a third time. I just wasn't going to do that. Um, so I always like to, to make that point very strong because I don't like people to, to try to copy me. And, and people do. They'll come to me and say, Mike, what did you use? I need to know exactly what cannabinoids you used and when and how. Mm-hmm. And first of all, it's impossible for me to replicate for somebody over a three and a half year period of time. And what's good, good advice for me could be horrible advice for somebody else. Yeah, um, everyone, everyone's different. Exactly. You know, so, so I had very good reason for going with alternative therapy at the end game. You know, I think that when we get to the end stage and we're at stage four, uh, we should use integrative medicine. And towards the end of my battle, as I hit remission, I did integrate. I did start going back to doctors. Of course, I was the director at the academy in 2018. I didn't hit full remission until 2019. So I was working with doctors in the last year of, of battling cancer. Um, so I, I do like to, as I talk about so many different things at one time, spread that message is integrate your therapies. Um, you know, it's, it's very important to know what your blood levels are. It's very important to know what your target is. Um, with three different cancers, I spent years traveling around using oils, not really knowing if I was hitting that mark or not, not really knowing if my blood levels were right or not. Um, and it was just an intense turnaround when I was able to look at my labs on my blood, look at, uh, MRI, PET and other imaging and say, okay, cancer is here and say, okay, bone metastasis that was there is no longer eating the bone. It's done. Mm-hmm. It's stopped. So, so it's so important to not completely you know, throw in the towel and slam the door shut at the oncology center and walk away for cannabis oil only uh, because you're not going to get that vital information. One of the things that uh, Corey has always emphasized in talking to people is an holistic approach to treating cancer and remaining healthy. Now, you had two forms of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and you also had prostate cancer. All three were stage four. What was your diet like at the time? Horrible. Before, when I got cancer, when it came back, I had been already on the compassion trail for probably a year. I'd already been traveling around by Amtrak, Greyhound, you name it, and I was eating on-the-road food, Mm -hmm. pre-packaged, pre-made. And, you know, through the years before that, you know, I, I was sort of a nomad kind of uh, lobbyist. I was pro bono, and I traveled all over the place back then eating a lot of garbage food. Um, without a doubt, my diet had a lot to do with cancer. I never considered my alkaline levels. I never considered how much coffee I was drinking or what energy drinks were doing to me. And this is after having cancer once already. So I think that, that we tend to live pretty recklessly, you know, even after 
cancer hits us once sometimes. And, and I see this as a compassion provider that works with cancer patients all the time. And I remind people, you know, who I am and what my history is and how nowadays I have to be very mindful and remember that, hey, you know, this is not going to give you a third chance to win. You, know, you need to keep mm -hmm. it out of your body now. You have uh, had an interesting career. You were a professional race car driver, and I want to read something that you wrote, which I think, I mean, it really had an impact on me, Mike. And it's about cancer, and you said, not one moment on that racetrack compared to how on edge I was during the fight for my life. No huge wreck or fire-ridden accident startled me, like hearing those words, you have cancer. Nothing in my life has ever compared to this, as having cancer is such a unique feeling. It's lonely on the inside, as you can't tell people how you feel, or they get scared. You have to be this pillar of strength for all around you, or you're putting others in a position to be depressed about your health, which makes you depressed. Nothing has ever put fear in me as cancer has. That was That really spoke to me, because I... Those of us who have not had cancer somehow cannot relate to others who do. And I think, I mean, I want to commend you for, for your words because it was, it, I mean, it's, it's inspiring to people to know that it's very scary, but there is a way out for most people. You know, you know I type over 100 words a minute. I'm so fast. I, I, I use... AI posting to to hit 12 different platforms with as many posts as I can every day. Um, and often I don't read what I've written. And what you just read back to me, yeah, I don't know if you can hear my voice, but it really choked me up. Well, because it's, it's true. It's yeah. so true. Those words, you have cancer. <laughs> There's nothing like it. You no. are paralyzed. I'll tell you. You have cancer. I'll take the you have paralyzed first because that came back twice. Mm -hmm. You have cancer. I don't know if I'll live again if I get told that at all. But I know that there's a, an ability to possibly walk again. And, and see, this is pretty scary, you know. And and I think that a lot of people miss this when they're when they're talking to somebody who is just diagnosed or they're being that support system for somebody who's treating themselves, whether it be with cannabis oil, whether it be with conventional medicine, people with cancer are afraid whether they're showing it or not. You know, there, there, there's nothing like it and there's no, nothing to grab onto other than your faith and whatever it may be. So it's important that people that are there for those with cancer realize that, hey, this isn't just the fight of your life. It's the fear of your life. It's an emotional bombshell. Very much is, you know. Um, it's, it's, it's scary. It's, uh, you know, and uh, for our family, it, it, our family came together because of compassion. The work I talk about providing compassion to different people. And as I sit in my office, I'm about eight feet away from our front door that I knocked on in 2016 as a compassion provider to bring oil to a 13-year-old girl named Genevieve at that time. 
And, um, you know, Genevieve's now my daughter, uh, you know, I ended up uh, dating her mom about a month and a half after we met. And, you know, we had this very old fashioned relationship where we saw each other about once a month, about three or four months and like a courtship kind of thing Mm -hmm. and got together. And, you know, so, so it's, our family has came together in a really beautiful way. Genevieve has severe autism and epilepsy. That's why I came here to bring oil and how this ties into cancer is Genevieve also has a younger sister, Sydney, who, who is also high functioning on the autism spectrum. And last year, her dad died uh, in a surgical complication to cancer. Genevieve's dad died to an opioid overdose in 2008. Um, So I believe I was allowed to live for a specific reason. There is a specific family here that needed me. I needed them. And I'm somebody that's a believer in a maker. And I believe that my maker knew where I needed to be exactly when, exactly where, and exactly why. And allowed me to live. I have never in a decade of working with people that need help with cannabis oil ran into anybody who's even V2 stage four cancers, let alone three. Um, I, I didn't expect to live ever before I came to this door and knocked on it to come bring a little girl oil. I used to walk around singing the words from the movie green mile, walking the mile, walking the mile, <laughs> down, walking out of our way and laugh. I was at peace with it. I figured I would give away oil until I died. There was no plan of living at all. And then one day I knock on this door of this magical child, Genevieve, is just an incredible child. She's made a dozen years of cognitive gains in, in the last five. She's pharma-free. She's seizure-free. She's just an incredible story. And she allowed me to live. And people like Mike Halzett, you, you came and helped her. But the reality of it is when I came and knocked on this door, I was a man dying of cancer, self-condemned, dying of cancer. And after we came together by 2017, I lived here, moved in, and Genevieve's dad, who died to opioids, wow, that kept on and kept on and kept on. And this is where I'm going to send a very strong message. One side effect to a cancer diagnostic that a lot of people don't ever talk about is called a referral to pain management. And that side effect of a referral to pain management for me meant bolstering the opioid addiction I had ever since that 1995 wreck. I was hurt bad with a lot of broken bones. So I was given everything you could think of. MS cotton faded out. Hey, Sackler Brothers drugs were right there for me. Purdue Pharma's drugs, MS cotton. I was one of my doctor's first patients to use it. You know, I got so addicted to that stuff after the wreck. And when cancer came again in 2015, I I was still using Norco, you name it, for, for pain meds. I'd moved away from the oxys. But as soon as a cancer diagnosis was made with bone metastasis in 2015, immediately oxy, fentanyl, whatever you need. Now, these drugs, as much as they can stop our pain, also can kill us in our battle 
when you, somebody's fighting bone metastasis and other issues like that, yes, it hurts bad and we need to reduce this pain. But we're taking a drug that's stripping our body of the ability to actually heal that bone. And I would not be a good example in this at all through my cancer battle. I was a horrible example. And that's why I'll talk about it. I was an addict. I just took more and more and more of those drugs because cancer is depressing. It's scary. You want it to go away. You're alone at night laying in bed and you think about these cancers eating at your bones, eating at your body. You've got these pain meds. Well, yeah, there's pain there. So you take the pill. But when I look back on that side effect I call addiction, we're taking that pill because we're scared. We're taking that pill because we're emotionally traumatized bad just from the diagnosis alone. Often we could go soak in a hot bathtub and get rid of that pain or get rid of it enough to sleep or get, you know, and, and I think it's imperative that people that are fighting a cancer battle look at every last item that's given the, to them by doctors and be very careful not to fall into the really weird trap I fell into. And that's one in which I walked away from doctors. I'm just not going to use you guys. That's that. I'm fighting this cancer with cannabis oil. These are my thoughts, right? And while I'm fighting this can cancer with cannabis oil, the one place I'll keep going to is pain management. And I'll tell you, in 2018, I started seeing this as a serious issue. I kept recurring. I kept recurring with non-Hodgkin's. And it just wouldn't stop. I get all the way destaged out of it and then a recurrence again. I was down to only prostate being the battle in late 2017. And by 2018, recurrence non Hodgkins, I think it was April. And I went to some of the academy doctors and asked them, you know, what do, what do I do? And they were sort of stumped. It's like you can't stop taking the pain meds, you get too much pain, you know? And I started looking at different cannabinoids I could take and use and try to replace the pain medication. And, you know, uh, and eventually I did. And when I quit completely, you know, there was some, some weaning or sparing that happened first where cannabinoids came in and I started taking less. But why did I stop taking less? Because I was so smart, because I was a director at the American Academy of Cannabinoid Medicine, because I founded the Global Cannabinoid Research Center? Absolutely not. Those are None of those reasons are why I stopped. The reason why I stopped is a girl named Genevieve who lost her dad to an opioid overdose in 2008. And here I was continually taking opioids as her new dad. And I'll tell you, I was not abusing him, abusing them. I was not an IV user. It wasn't nothing that happened to her in the past nothing i was doing was that but you know when i knew that the code prescribing a narcan was a must with opioids long term any 30 day do or 30 day prescription or longer requires a narcan prescription now in california my doctor gave me both the prescription to the opioids and narcan and i walk to my doctor's office about a quarter mile away and that walk back home, quarter mile, it seemed like it took 10 hours 
because I bring my prescriptions to Anne Marie, Genevieve's mom, and she goes and fills them for me, does me that favor. So here I am holding Narcan and a strong opioid prescription. And I've got to come home and tell a mom, can you please go fill these for me? Because if this one kills me, we need to use this one to unkill me. Mm. And how do I do that? So by, by the time I got home, the only thing I could come out of me is take this one to the pharmacy. They'll only fill it for seven days. Take this one and frame it. Narcan. Because once that law passed, or those regs passed, if you didn't get the Narcan, you could only get a seven-day prescription one time. So what I did was commit what I call addiction suicide. I killed my addiction. (laughs) (laughs) I did it by making it completely incapable of getting any more of the drugs, even though I still had a cancer diagnosis. I could have easily gone to a pain management doctor and got anything I wanted, but I would have always had to have that Narcan. And I just could not do that to my family. I could not do that to Genevieve. Here's a girl that lost her dad, went without one for almost a decade, and I became her daddy. And then I'm going to, no. So I quit. And I'll tell you, the rebound after the physical withdrawal was incredible. The physical rebound, it just was off the hook so much that I called my doctor in mid-February of, of 2019 and told her, you know, I quit these opioids on my own. And she told me, I told you not to do that. You need to come in and sign an against medical advice slip for me, Michael. She goes, please, you know, it's been two decades plus. You could seize to death and die. And I could lose my medical license. So I went in on the 22nd of February in 2019 Got blood test drawn, you know, and went through the same cycle of being a cancer patient, had the labs pulled, a quick CBC, labs got sent over to her results. I went in to go see her after the results later that afternoon. And she looked at those labs and looked at me and just kept going back and forth. And she was like, I, I, I don't know what to say. And I was like, what? She said, well, I haven't seen you in four months. And you got three stage four cancers. You've got a plastic anemia. I mean, aplastic anemia is a death sentence of its own. It's lifetime. But since that appointment date on 2 2019, three years later, I just got tested again. No sign of any anemia, no signs of any cancer, all biomarkers negative. Full and complete remission came to me. Not even two months after completely quitting opioids. And I could not grasp it until then. And I do not believe it's a coincidence. No. Mike, I, I don't know if you can even answer this question, but what do you think, or what would you consider, or maybe there isn't just one, to be the most valuable cannabinoid uh, that assisted you in your battle? You know, that is a hard question to answer because you I had THC in the beginning and that had to be the only cannabinoid anybody could use in my world back then. 
I was like, if you aren't using THC, RSO, or PICO, pole extract cannabis oil, you just were using the wrong thing. That's that's just how I was in the beginning. And then it got to a point to where I was like, wait a second, you know, there's a lot more to this because I actually use CBD to control seizures in the beginning. I used THC to to quit a lot of the seizure meds. You know, so so when I look at my own cancer battle, THC was very important in the beginning. Because we are all clinically endocannabinoid deficient. It's it's a syndrome. We all have this. We're deficient of our endocannabinoids. THC looks just like an endocannabinoid. So if you don't have anandamide, which THC looks like, you need it. So in the beginning, THC was critical for me to have. But over a period of years of using THC, only one thing can happen to that endocannabinoid that's deficient. It gets more deficient because what's happening is you're using this external substance that looks like an neurotransmitter our body makes. And our body's very, very low. It's like a gas gauge in the red, you know, on an anamine, that neurotransmitter that THC looks like. So in the first couple of years, I really needed the strong psychoactive stuff. That's what we know, you know, is effective in fights against cancer. But then after years of research and studying and learning much more about the endocannabinoid system and cannabinoids, I started looking at CBGA and how it exerted in the system and and how the use of ingested CBGA along with healthy fats and a good diet with exercise causes the creation of endocannabinoids. And I caught on to something. I was like, wait a second. You know, if we can create endocannabinoids in our body and increase what's called endocannabinoid tone or the gas gauge, if we can make it go up, we don't need the THC oil to mimic the endocannabinoid anymore. Now we can just use what I call endocannabinoid medicine. So throughout my cancer battle, What's very unique, I believe, is the fact that I was treating a lot of other cancer patients and doing a lot of research, including a year at, at the academy. And, and that gave me knowledge, I think, that is probably extremely unique um, in, in how to fight cancer. And, and so for me, what, what I saw is that it all depends on the type of cancer that you're fighting. And I had three different cancers. In I had non-Hodgkin's, I had Hodgkin's lymphocytic, so I didn't truly really have two non-Hodgkin's. I had non-Hodgkin's and Hodgkin's at the same time, and prostate. So these are all lymph node cancers, basically. You know, they're all they're they're basically treated the same. And what I found was that I had inundated my body with far too much THC oil. Towards the end of, or even middle of 2018, I was at two, three grams a day mm-hmm. of RSO. And, and I'll tell you, it's, it's led me to continually talk about the memes about, about you know, uh, 60 grams in 90 days or 90 grams, whatever these memes are. These, these are pointless memes that don't I- indicate the amount of time it's going to take to treat a cancer. Nobody knows how long it's going to take. So I spent years using THC oils and that kept me alive. I mean, I'm in stage here, so it's stopping death, you know, so THC was definitely necessary, 
But when it came to icing the cake and coming to full and complete remission, it was CBGA. Because when I went to quit the opioids, it was CBGA. I could not, I could not use THC because it made me so dizzy. Anytime you go to a draw off a drug, you're going to get dizzy, and that dizziness makes you get physically sick. You know, so, so it's it, what happened to me is when I started, ceasing, you know, quitting the opioids, and when I completely quit, I was so sick that inhaled orange acid THC was making me sicker. I had a serious problem. I didn't know what to do. So I started ingesting more and more and more CBGA. And that's what led me to eventually call the doctor and say, hey, take a look at me because I'm only a month into this withdrawal and I got hair growing back in a bald spot. I've got my skin looks really good. I should look horrible and I don't, even though I feel horrible. And so so when I look at, at this, there's a lot of cannabinoids, there's a lot of terpenes. And they all play a role. And, and while I had a, a situation where THC was imperative and CBGA came in to ice my cake, another person might have it the other way around yeah. or might find that CBD works for them. And it's all going to depend on that unique physiology and the type of cancer. So I'm very, I apologize for this long-winded answer, but the reason why I do that is I don't want people to hear what I use and immediately go running out after that thinking this is what they need exactly. Because what I used was based also on my research and based on what I what's called dose response. I was looking at how my body and endocannabinoid system was responding to the doses of oil I was using. And I made adjustments based on that. That's absolutely fascinating, Mike. What is um what does an average day look like for you as far as what you uh, take cannabis wise? Oh, it's interesting. Ah. <laughs> the average day for me is very fluid. Um, I'm not somebody that believes in universal dosing at all. Uh, I, I believe that's what got us where we're at now in Western medicine. You know, you got this wrong with you. Take this three times a day at this many milligrams. That doesn't really work for people. Um, And I try to give people that advice, too, or I do give them that advice all the time, is you figure your dose out. I have people that ask me, Mike, how much should I take of this to start? And I'll give them guidance. And I'll tell them, I'm going to give you some guidance, but I want you to find your happy spot. So for me, my average day starts out with me waking up and taking a half gram of an 85% CBGA concentrate right off the bat, I'm putting about 400 milligrams of CBGA into my endocannabinoid system. And the reason being is I know it's the way it exerts. In my system, immediately, it's going to start producing. It's going to start bolstering that ECS to actually work on its own. And by starting out my day with that huge dose, the reason why I do that is I don't want THC all day long. Right now, while I'm talking to you, I'm getting these small little oxytocin rushes, and it's based on endocannabinoid balance. When a person gets to that point, you'll actually get some of the euphoria THC gives you, but with no red eyes, no cotton mouth, no panicky, no no 
paranoia feeling. And I don't get much of that out of THC, but I'm just saying that it just doesn't have any of those effects because it's the neurotransmitter that's landing on the receptor. So I start out my day with that big dose of CBGA to start with. Um, after that, I, I, I go at least three to four hours without any other cannabinoids, especially CBD, because I don't want it to metabolize the CBGA I just took. So that's what a lot of people still have yet to learn is that some cannabinoids work against each other, just like any other substances or foods that we take, you know? Uh, so so I, I'll start with that. And by noon, I'm, I take a capsule that has a small dose of about 100 milligrams, to me is small, of THC oil with CBD and CBG. So now I'm adding these other cannabinoids in through my afternoon, but there's nothing inhaled. Um, by the middle of the afternoon, or if there's breakthrough pain, I'll normally go and use a Puffco, electronic dab device. Now, I used to take 20 dabs in a row and feel nothing before CBGA. Holy, holy, holy. No problem. I mean, because you go years of using grams of, of ingested THC oil a day, your inhaled THC is not going to do much to you. And that's where I got. But what happens with the use of that CBGA and why I take it first thing in the morning is it's basically setting up my endocannabinoid system to receive other cannabinoids all day long without throwing me out of balance because it's our, our endocannabinoid system works with an ebb and flow. It's got to have a balance. And, and a lot of people that are, are medicating still are, they're helping themselves with the, with the plant cannabinoids they use, but they're still not quite in balance. And, and I found that after, you know, years of ingestion, I was so far out. Like I said, I could take 20 dabs and not feel it. Now, because of the amount of, of other cannabinoids I use, when I go and inhale one or two times, I'm high school high done. I've got to the point now to where inhaling THC, I don't want to call it recreational because I really don't like that term, but it truly is for my enjoyment, even though it's medicine. You know, when I ingest in a capsule THC, and don't even really know I'm doing it, I wouldn't quite say it's for my enjoyment. It's more just my medicine, right? Um, you know, so it's so it, it's nice to be able to go and use a cannabinoid that way. Um, so, so it's very fluid, and I will change things based on how I feel. I make candy um, with honey. I call them honey drops with CBN, CBG, and a little bit of THC. And those honey drops are also used as a carrier for THC oils, or it could be CBG oils. And these are full extract, like, you know, it looks just like RSO, like a crude or black oil. So I'll have a piece of candy and I'll put a little bit of oil on that and put that in my mouth. So a lot of dosing I do is based on what I feel my system needs. I'm continually taking uh, cannabinoids based on dose response. And never does a day go by where the milligram level is under 1,500. I would say I'm probably somewhere between 1,500 and 2,000 milligrams of ingested uh, cannabinoids a day. I will treat myself as I have cancer for the rest of my life. I will never, never, ever 
put myself in a position where I need a Western medicine treatment for cancer because I, I just can't handle the thought of pushing myself in a wheelchair again. I just I can't do that. You know, Mike, you have told an absolutely fascinating story, and uh, I want to ask you one last question. And just from listening to your story, I think the reason that you are where you are today with no signs of cancer is because of love. You have love for your wife. You have love for your stepdaughter. But most importantly, you now have love for yourself, and that's what I get out of listening to you. What has been the biggest challenge for you in all this? The biggest challenge for me in all of this has been exactly what you just said, learning to love myself, learning that it's okay to be sick, learning that it's okay to be less than perfect, Learning that it's okay to be somebody that has severe epilepsy that can't drive a car. You know, all of these things that we don't, that we just don't come to a good conclusion about ourselves with, they hurt us inside. Mm -hmm. And you just hit on something so huge because I, I send this message all the time to people. Cannabis is my medicine, but love healed me. Love heals everything. Love heals can cancer. And that brings me to a conclusive statement that cannabis is love. Wonderful. Mike, it was a pleasure to meet you, a pleasure to hear your story, and I wish you all the best in the future. Thanks for doing this. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. We'd also like to thank our listeners for supporting us and sharing our podcast with others who can benefit from hearing these testimonials like Mike's about the healing power of cannabis. And we encourage you to support us at Cannabis Health Radio. We have no sponsors, as you know, but you can support us for as little as $5 a month on our Patreon page, and you can also make a one-time donation through our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com. Remember, you are this sponsor. You can change a life. You can save a life by sharing our podcasts with everyone. We're very grateful for your support, and thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back again next week. Thanks for listening to Cannabis Health Radio. For more information and to search previous podcasts, visit our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com. Subscribe so you don't miss new episodes. And follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. This podcast is made possible by donations from our listeners. If you found the information helpful, please consider making a donation in any amount through our website. You can also help us share our message by leaving a review on your podcast listening platform. We are very grateful for your support. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Are you looking for the next great cannabis business to invest in? Then you need to check out the MJ Bulls podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Humston. Join me each week as I speak to both cannabis entrepreneurs who are raising capital 
and cannabis investors who are investing capital. Our 10-minute episodes are perfect for the busy investor. Start listening to the MJ Bulls podcast today, wherever you listen to podcasts, and who knows, maybe you'll discover the next cannabis unicorn.